Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They will rejoice before you as people rejoiced at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is God's word. The second reading is taken from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. This is God's word. Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. 
Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, I did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is God's word. Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up to the, from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. A great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is God's word. Let me have my welcome. My name is Matt. I work at the church here. And, uh, you are very, very welcome amongst us this morning. We love uh, this time of year. We love getting the Christmas tree out this week. We love having the choir sing. And we love particularly welcoming guests. And what I'd love to do just for the next few minutes is to think about the heart of Christmas. The heart of Christmas. What's it all about? And when you strip everything away and come down to it, Uh, Christmas is about the arrival of a baby. 
That's what it's about. It's about the arrival of a baby. I wonder how you do respond to the arrival of a baby. It's always a great thing at this time of year. You go home, you see family, friends you've not seen for a while, and there's a baby you're presented uh, with. And I have to admit for myself that that is a very exciting moment. Uh, You're handed the baby, but I'm not particularly good with babies. And so for me as well, it produces a slightly socially awkward moment. Because there you are and you're holding the baby very, very carefully uh, in your arms. You've been entrusted with, what, 30 seconds at most, maybe for me, with the baby's life. And you hold the baby in your arms and you feel the need to make some wise, insightful comment about the darling that is in uh, your arms. And you know that that comment uh, has to be a good comment, a distinctive comment about the baby. But it has to be a a sort of a neutral comment as well, because you might be past another baby soon and you don't want to sort of do down the next baby with faint praise. So it's very awkward. What do you say? You have to say something. So you you start, you you say, um, well, it's got lovely blue eyes. And in the back of your mind, you know, most babies, they do have blue eyes, you're told. So that doesn't work. You, You look at the baby again, you say... Well, it's, uh, it's got its mother's nose, and everyone looks up at the mother's nose, and you're not sure that's a good thing. You, you don't know what to do. I, what do you say? What do you say? How do you respond to a baby? I, I've got a friend who, who, in exactly this situation, came up with a neutral phrase that just helps him through these sorts of socially awkward situations. Here's what he says whenever he's given a baby. He, he holds the baby carefully in his arm. He He looks down at the baby, he looks up at the parents, he looks down at the baby again, he looks up at the parents again, and he just says, what a baby. (laughs) It's a brilliant phrase. What a baby. It can go, anyway, anyway you want to take it, that phrase can go, what a baby. Christmas is about the arrival of a baby. How should we respond to this baby and why should we care? Because there are 130 million babies born each year and we don't celebrate everyone, let alone all of the babies that have been born in history. Why should we care about this baby? Well, I want us to see that this baby alone has the answer to all of the bad things in the world. He came to make everything good again. And of course, you and I will know that Christmas intensifies the good and the bad of life. So at Christmas time, we have the best of times and the worst of times. Uh, The rows seem that much more painful. The absences that much more poignant. The inequalities that much more pronounced in the world that we live in. The good and the bad are just focused at Christmas. And this baby alone... This baby alone came to deal with all of that, to get rid of the bad and to make the good stay good forever. But actually, you'd never have guessed that when the baby was born and nor did uh, Joseph in the passage that we had read. You see, Mary and Joseph weren't waiting for their place in history. They weren't sitting there waiting for it. They were a love-struck couple waiting for their wedding day. And into that, into that came, well, the whiff of scandal. I mean, an awful situation. 
Uh, because we're told in Matthew that they've, they've not slept together, and yet there is Mary, and she skips a period. She starts craving very unusual foodstuffs, and it turns out that she's pregnant. What do you say? There's Joseph. How do you console a, a man like this? Uh, what do you say uh, to him? He must have been gutted. He must have been gutted. The late-night conversations must have been late and tearful. And of course, in the culture of their day, uh, they would, although they were engaged, they would have been legally, in effect, married. And so Joseph makes it clear that he doesn't want to take things through the divorce courts, but that it is best at this point that they just go their separate ways. What do you say? Well, it turns out that Joseph didn't have all of the information. There's more to know. And I'd like to look at this together. And we're going to particularly look at Matthew's account of this. That's in the Matthew chapter 1. See, the turning point comes in the story in verse 20. After Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, you'd have thought that Joseph had had enough surprises for the day before an angel arrived and told him uh, this bit of news, that the baby in Mary's womb was specially implanted by God. This baby came by a supernatural intervention. This was God, a baby out of nowhere. Now, just pause. What, What are we meant to make of that bit of news to engage with the Christian faith? Do we have to throw out our brain and believe in all sorts of weird... I mean, what do you make of angels? What do you do with that sort of thing? You know, someone will say, well, I'm an out-and-out rationalist. I can't believe in anything as extraordinary as this. Uh, We are just a string of amino acids just sort of grown out of the ground in effect. Well, in effect, we do all believe in miracles in some form or another for for that sort of a person. The miracle is that actually we should treat each other at Christmas as much more than amino acids. I mean, that piece of information, that way of thinking about people, in effect, comes out of nowhere. It comes out of nowhere if we believe that that's all that we are. But if there is a God who put the stars in their axes and created each human being, then it's no surprise that the God of the universe would be able to intervene in this way and show up as he did, intervene in a womb. And that's what the Bible claims he did. It's a signal to us that the God of the universe arrived in baby form, that the God of the universe broke into human history, that the God of the universe came to this planet. But why? Why did he do that? Why did he bother to come to this planet at all? And we're told in the next verse, please look at verse 21. She, Mary, will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, it's become clear to Joseph that he's got a busy few months ahead of him. Not only has he got to plan a wedding, but he's got to redecorate the spare room for the baby. That's not going to be a problem for Joseph. He's a carpenter. But but God removes one headache from this couple. They won't have to trawl through the book of baby names, finding the most fashionable name at the time for their baby. That's, that's under control. The name is to be Jesus. The name is to be Jesus. It, it's, it's a name that means God saves. That would have sent a... 
a bit of a ripple around the people, I guess, in their community. To call your baby Jesus because God saves. It's like calling your baby lifeguard or paramedic. It's a slightly striking thing to call a child. And it picks out, I want to pick out two surprising things that this tells us. This verse tells us about why the baby came. And the first is this, that sin is serious. Sin is serious. That's the surprising thing that this baby's name tells us. You see, the fact that God sent a saviour into the world, a rescuer, a lifeguard, implies that there's a problem. And there is. It's at the end of verse 21. It's the last word. He will save his people from their sins. Make no mistake, Christmas would never have existed unless sin did. God didn't send Jesus into the world because he thought that we needed a festival to cheer us up in winter. Or because he thought that we needed a spending spree to boost the economy. He knew that we needed a saviour to pay for our sin. Now, if ever there was a misunderstood word in the Bible, it's this word sin. It doesn't just mean a bit of naughtiness on the side. What it means is that in the relationship that matters most in the world, the relationship with the God who made us, we treat him as if he was a a vending machine. A vending machine. I mean, you have one of those, I imagine, in your, in your office. It um, gives you the caffeine boost in the early morning and then the late morning and then just after lunch and then on after that as well. It's, it's there. Now, you know what a vending machine is like. It stands in the corner. It keeps quiet. It dispenses stuff. That's what a vending machine is for. But if, you'll have noticed this as well, that no one ever talks to the vending machine. You'll have noticed that. No no one uh, around the table in the middle of a business deal uh, says, wait a second, wait a second, I know we've got to put through a conference call to these important things, but I just need to go and speak to the vending machine. No one ever does that because it's a vending machine. It stands in the corner, it keeps quiet, it gives you the stuff. We don't thank it, we don't consult it. Page after page of the Bible makes it clear that the God who made us is a person. He's a person who made us for a relationship with him. Who who longs, in effect, to give us good things. Who, Who says to us, all I want to do is to do good to you. That's all I want to do. I want to do good to you, says the God of the universe. He's a person. And yet the Bible says that sin, this word, means that all of us treat God as if he were a vending machine. We say to him, in effect, stand in the corner, keep quiet and give me the stuff. I want the stuff from you. I want the food, the funds, the friends, the family. It's just I don't want you, God. You keep out of my way. I won't consult you. I won't thank you for the business deal. I won't thank you for the house. I won't consult you about the decisions. You just stay out of the way. The Bible says that that's how we treat God. And the Bible says that sin is serious, that it is the root cause of why the world is is as it is. It's the reason that the rows happen, the absences are painful. It's the reason that the world is as it is. 
And for God to deal with that problem, he must, he must judge it. He must deal with it to put the world right. He can't just wash over it and carry on in the universe as if nothing has gone wrong. No, he has to go back to that point and correct it. Uh, I'm no uh, mathematician, in fact. Uh, I was an English teacher for a bit. I, I really I, I struggle with all of my times tables. But I remember from at school that if you're doing a bit of maths and you're doing a sum, do you remember you're doing a sum and, and, and you work down the page, that if you make a mistake in the sum, it, it's no good just sort of carrying on as if everything's fine and hoping that the sum will turn out all right in the end. To get it right, you have to correct it at the point where the error was. So where you forgot to carry a two or whatever, you have to go back to that point and put it right. And it's the same with sin. For God to put the universe right, he can't just blithely carry it on as if everything's okay. No, he has to go back to the point where everything went wrong and deal with that. And the point where it went wrong is in our relationship with him, our sin towards him. And so the Bible uh, speaks of a day when God, who in, in his justice, will one day come to judge the world, to put it right, and for him to do that properly so that it will stay good forever, he has to deal with sin. And he will. He will judge sin in each one of us. Uh, one day the vending machine will step out of the corner and be revealed as our boss and our judge. And we cannot play games with this God. Sin is serious. And the Bible says that there's no more terrifying prospect in the universe than to meet the judge of all, the God of the universe, having treated him in effect as if he was just a footnote, just a vending machine in the corner of our lives. Every one of us has treated God this way. And so none of us by rights walk into heaven. The Bible says that sin is serious. It is our greatest problem this Christmas. And the fact that God sent a saviour shows that God knows that that's our biggest problem, even if we don't. Someone's put it this way. That if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If it had been money, God would have sent an, an economist. If it was pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. But it was forgiveness. And so God sent a saviour. So there's the first surprising thing from these verses. It's that sin is serious. And the second is this. It's that rescue is available. Rescue. Rescue is available. Let me read that verse again. Verse 21. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I want you to notice above anything that God sent a saviour into the world. Many people hear the first point and then mishear the second point and then leave and think that the Christian faith is bad news and God has nothing to say to them. But I want you to hear very clearly. I can't stress enough that in love, God sent a saviour into the world. God didn't send a policeman to tell us off. He didn't send a lecturer to teach us the way. He didn't send a priest to sort of rub our noses in guilt. He sent a saviour into the world. For, for years as I was growing up, I thought that all God had to say to this world was, thou shalt not, and that is it. And Jesus did teach people to turn from sin. Yes, he did. But he came as a saviour 
to pay for that sin himself. Who would say, in effect, I know that you've treated me. I know that you've treated God as a vending machine. I know exactly what you're like. And yet I've come into the world as the friend of sinners to pay for your sin instead of you. Jesus Christ came as a saviour. And the rest of Matthew's book records how Jesus Christ would do that. Jesus, the baby in the manger, would grow up to be the Lord, the saviour, who died on the cross at Easter. And when he died on the cross, it wasn't just a tragic accident of history. It was the intention of God, Father, Son and Spirit that Jesus on the cross would pay for our sin instead of us if we'll let him. That he would swap places. That our sin and the judgment for that would fall onto him on the cross so that it wouldn't have to fall on us. Jesus Christ came into the world not as a policeman, not as a lecturer, not as a priest. He came as our saviour to rescue us. And because of his death on the cross, rescue, rescue from payment for sin is now available for anyone who will trust in him. It's the most wonderful news in the world that a saviour came for us. I wonder if you know how good it is, how good it feels to be rescued. It's a most wonderful feeling to find yourself as a rescued person. I remember when I was about uh, 13, trying to learn uh, to windsurf. Now, uh, for me, with windsurfing, there are a few uh, immediate problems. For a start, windsurfing requires uh, a little bit of strength. Uh, I don't have a little bit of strength. Uh, I go to the gym inductions, and I just have to sit down for a few days uh, afterwards. The other thing is very helpful if you're learning to windsurf, if you know how to turn around. I don't really know how to turn around on a windsurfer. And uh, so on this particular occasion, uh, the, the thing that I was trying was when you go in a certain, you just jump over the front, you push the board around, and you sort of try and head back in the same direction. But on this particular occasion that I was trying, the wind and the tide were taking me uh, out of the mouth of the estuary and towards the, the boating channel. Things weren't going particularly well for me. And there's another thing. Um, I feel the cold a lot. There's not a huge amount to me. It's that old thing. Um, I'm so thin I have to run around in the shower just to get wet. You know, that's the, that's the sort of situation uh, for me. And so there I was drifting out to sea uh, on this windsurfer um, and trying to paddle into the shore. Uh, I'm cold. I'm exhausted by now. I don't know how to turn round on this uh, thing. And at that uh, moment you've really got a choice as a windsurfer. 99% of windsurfing is about image as far as I can work out and so you really have to humble yourself at this moment and lie down uh, on the board. That is very galling for anyone trying to windsurf and so there I am and I tried. You lie down on the board and you just try and paddle into shore and it's not working at all. I checked over my shoulder to see if France was nearer or Great Britain and I decided Great Britain wasn't so I set off in that direction and it was at this moment tired, exhausted, cold, my lips going blue That rescue arrived. A man pulled up in his little uh, boat with an outboard engine on it. Uh, He looked at me and he said, do you need some help? Now, what was I going to say at that moment? Uh, No, uh, I'm fine. I often windsurf lying on my stomach. It's a new technique. Here's what I said. I said, 
yes, I could do with some help, please. And he said, fine. He put out his hand. He brought me onto the boat. We tied the windsurfer on the back and we set off for shore. Do you know how good it feels to be rescued when you've been sort of adrift on your own, wobbling, cold, starting to panic a little bit? Do you know how good it feels to be put in a boat, uh, given a mug of hot coffee out of a thermos, taken to shore, and then you get to the shore and you put one foot out of the boat onto the sand. You put another foot out of the boat onto the sand. You feel the ground solid underneath you and you know at that moment that you're safe. That's what it feels like in a very small way to be rescued And the Bible says that all of us left on our own would drift away from God. We've drifted away from him in our lives because of sin. And the Bible says that if that's not dealt with before we die, then we drift away from him forever. But the Bible says that Jesus came to rescue. At the cross when he died, in effect, he put out his hand to us and said, Do you need some help? I've come as a saviour, as a rescuer the question is how will we respond how will we respond to his offer because if we see that sin is serious the first thing then what are we going to say to him i'm I'm fine i'm fine I'll, I'll, i'll paddle in to shore i'll be fine we've missed the point jesus said that sin is serious god would not have sent a savior if we could have paddled into shore ourselves just by trying harder god would not have sent a savior if that had been the case and we need to be clear that if we reject the rescue that god offers then we pay for our sin ourselves. how will we respond well the right response takes some humility it does mean holding up your hands and saying yeah actually i do need some help i see that sin is serious i see that you must judge i do need your help And so a Christian person is not a good person who tries hard to live a good life. They're just a sinner who's found rescue, who's seen the outstretched arm of Jesus from the cross and taken hold of it and said, I need that help. And they've relied on him. And can I say that if you're looking in this morning and just hearing this just raises questions that you want to have answered, well, do come back to something that would help you with that. We've got a couple of events coming up, uh, one called Faith or Fiction, one called Christianity Explored, which are put on just to answer questions that you might have about the Christian faith and about life. But can you see that if, if this is true, if Jesus is the rescuer that we need, then it matters. And I wonder if I could encourage you this Christmas not to take a step away from thinking about the Christian faith, but to take one step towards thinking about it, engaging with it, maybe for the first time, maybe again. So Christmas is about the arrival of a baby. How do you respond to the arrival of a baby? How do you respond to the arrival of this baby? What a baby. What a baby this one was for all of the right reasons. And the question for us this Christmas is this. Have we welcomed him? Will you welcome him this Christmas? Let's pray.
You're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Our God and Heavenly Father, thank you for showing us the seriousness of our sin, but the wonder of the rescue that you've made available. Please would you help each one of us to respond rightly to the baby that you sent. Amen.